0: I want to talk to you about Acts 1, 8 Christianity, where every Christian becomes a preacher of the gospel. Acts chapter 1, and would you stand with me and we'll read verses 6 to 8, Acts chapter 1, pull back a little bit so you're not in front of there. Acts chapter 1, verses 6, 7 and 8. We will read together. All right, let's read it together, starting in verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let's pray. Father, um, open our eyes to a world without God, without hope. Lord, help us to realize, uh, Lord, we were one day just minding our own business, not looking for you, and somebody gave us the gospel. It may have been a parent. It may have been a co-worker. It may have been just somebody on the street. But somebody had to come to us. We must go. Lord, we can't let it stop. We can't let it be done by somebody else. You saved us all to be Acts one Christians. So, Lord, put a burden in our heart for the call of God on us to go. Lord, there are people who come here this morning and don't know where they're going when they die. You already came. You became a man. You let religious people, politicians, crucify you so that we would know just how bad we are. But you got up three days later to show that you could save. You could defeat sin and death. And if there's somebody in this room, anybody in this room, who has never cried out to you to be saved, never called upon that name which is above every name, well, they may pray, they may be to going to church, but they've never been born again. Today, I pray, would be their day. Would they be able to trust Christ completely and fully? And that the rest of us, God, would realize you still save. You want to use us, and I pray that we would be available to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right. It's Missions Month. Now, every year I try to uh, make a whole month to push us out of our comfort zone of our entertainments and our busy schedules so that we care about a world going going crazy outside these walls, and I'd like us to become what Acts 1-8 describes, a kind of Christian doesn't just come to church. Jesus saved every one of us to be Acts 1-8 Christians. An Acts 1-8 Christian is somebody who can declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone, anywhere, and is actually going out of their way to find someone. To give the gospel to Mark fifteen. All right, Mark thirteen. Go to Mark thirteen. Go back to the left. Gospel of Mark, <clears throat> John. We didn't get the little controller. Mark chapter six, 13. I keep saying sixteen. Mark thirteen and verse ten. Mark thirteen ten says this. <clears throat> Mark thirteen ten of the gospel must. You ought to circle that word must. First, be published among how many nations? Jesus was not exclusionary. He wasn't saying it only for the Jews, only for the Europeans. He says it must be preached in all nations. Go to Mark 16. You're in Mark 13. Go to the right, find Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. He, Jesus, said unto them, go ye. He wasn't saying for angels to go. He says, go ye all into how much of the world? Now, in your mind, put the word all here. So, first of all, go ye all into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures, every creature. A lot of all's there. Jesus wants us to be actually Christians that goes in all directions. Now, that means to reach everyone in this world with the gospel. You know, every generation needs the gospel. Your parents may have been very good, godly people, but you need to get saved. Your children can't rest on your spirituality. Your children need to repent and believe on the gospel just like you did. It is, every generation has to be reached. You have to start completely over. That's why we start churches. That's why churches become, become museums, because they're not reaching the next generation and then the next generation. Every nation, every language, every culture needs to repent and believe the gospel. There are no exceptions. You cannot look and say, well, that country, they're moral, they're good. That country over there, they're doing fine, they're not starting any wars. Every country, every generation needs the gospel, no exception. But something's gone wrong. <clears throat> what happened? Well, I'm going to say this. Some of us, some of you, used to be so excited about winning a soul. You used to be so excited about carrying your Bible to work or tracks to school. You used to tell people what happened to you when you got saved. Now, all you talk about and worry about is sports and economics, politics, business and kingdoms. You mainly sit in front of your Netflix and your YouTubes. You debate scripture instead of preach it. Some of you only criticize people instead of try to witness to them and get them saved. That's destroying Christianity. Now, a way of background, the gospel had gotten stuck. Once you go to Acts now, Acts chapter 6. This is nothing new. Everything that we're going through already happens even at the very beginning of, of uh, the church age here in Acts chapter 6. In real reality, the gospel, just after the resurrection, after Christians were getting saved left, right, and center, it got stuck. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied, ah, uh, where? In Jerusalem, greatly. And, great com- and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Listen, um, uh, this, is, this is great. I mean, there were people getting saved. At first there were 120 people in an upper room. Next day there were 3,000 saved coming to church. Uh, The the week after that, 5,000 more got saved. I mean, it was incredible. But where was it happening? Just in Jerusalem. It was centralized in Jerusalem. And and all uh, all of that energy was stuck in one place, kind of like a tire in the mud. Mm, mm. A lot of energy going on, but Jerusalem is not the world. That was just the beginning. That's where it was supposed to start, but that's not <clears throat> where it was supposed to end because uh, uh, the early believers were all Jews and all they thought about winning were Jews. They never ventured out of their own land. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot like Christians are today, they just come to church and they, 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 they may worry about their kids, but that's all they worry about. Jesus had commanded his followers to ignore all the questions about the kingdom. And instead, reach out in all directions. Let's go back to Acts one8 Let's read it. I'll read it out loud again. I've got to get you to see this point. Acts 1-8. Ye shall receive power. I wonder what that power was. Power to levitate? Power to fix, you know, uh, economies? Uh, power to make the sun stand still in the sky? No. You'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. That's courage. That's the, that's the power to witness, to testify unto me, honoring me, pointing to me, both where? Starting in Jerusalem, and then in old Judea, and then in Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus had said, I want you to go everywhere. I want you to tell everyone. Now, that meant that God had to unstuck the the church. It was stuck in Jerusalem, and God had to unstuck it. Go to Acts 8. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Look in chapter 7, just one verse before, two verses before, verse 59, and they stoned who? 759, so Stephen gets stoned. He was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Verse 1 of chapter 8. And Saul. Saul of Tarsus was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was where? All right, so the church is stuck in Jerusalem. It's not going anywhere. So here comes Saul. And they were all, next word, say it with me, scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Oh, sounds like they're getting going. You're going to be witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2, and the devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. It was a great Disaster to them, but verse 3, And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere. What were they doing? Preaching the word. So God has to get them unstuck. And how does he do that? Steps back and lets the devil's dogs attack. Christians were dismissed from their jobs. They were kicked out of their homes by their own families, out onto the street. Older people, widows and widowers, were disowned and neglected. There were massive numbers of divorcements by unbelievers who wanted nothing to do with their converted spouses, not to mention all the public beatings and humiliations of the Christians. In Acts chapter 4, don't go there, but Peter and John are beaten soundly, uh, and they come back to the upper room, and everybody's shouting, going, going, what was it like? He says, it hurt." <laughs> but we were counted worthy. Stoning of Stephen, the house-to-house abuse and massacre of Christian families. All of this was not a once-off happening. It happened throughout church history here, throughout history. The Roman emperor turns all the might of the Roman Empire against Christians, blames them for his economy and his economics. And Nero's intense persecution lasts for 250 years. Now, what's serious is uh, uh, it was so cruel but you've got to ask yourself was it necessary? and I say yes and as a matter of fact it still is necessary because I'm going to I'm going to get ahead of myself but let me say something really clear here if you don't get motivated by love the love of Christ constraineth us doesn't it? that if one died for all then all are dead without God without hope they're all spiritually dead if Christ died for all and he did then everybody's dead and in need of a savior Well if that's true, then we shouldn't live unto ourselves anymore. We live for him who died and rose again. So if that verse is true, and it is, then we the love of Christ for the lost, the love of Christ for us ought to motivate us to go and give him the gospel. But if we don't get motivated by love, we're motivated by pain. Now you're gonna have to wake up, Christian. That's God. When 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 trouble comes into your life, he's not always the devil. It's God saying, well, I can't motivate you another way. I'll use this. So he gets the church moving. <laughs> so why, would, why was that any good at all? Because it scattered the Christians. It scattered them all directions. I mean, Jerusalem's out on the corner of the world there. And all of a sudden, out the Christians go. You saw there in verse 8, to out the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then verse, verse 4, it says, they went everywhere. Preaching the gospel. Now it motivated them to preach the word as they were supposed to do. Now I don't know. We're in such a day where when trouble comes at us, we just we just start to complain. Car won't start, we complain. Um, uh, get fired from the job, we complain. And I'm going to tell you, every situation you go through is an opportunity, is an open door. It is not a disaster. Not when you're saved. Listen, we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't lean on our understanding. We may never understand what God is doing. Just like with John Harper. We have no idea. I just know this. Thank God he was there. Probably more people got saved that night as the Titanic sank than they ever would have gotten saved if there had not been. John Harper is there. In that cold, frigid water. You have no idea why you're where you are, why you're in the mess you're in, why the world's caving in around you, except for one soul that may need you to be a gospel light. So those Christians went everywhere preaching like they were supposed to do. And by the way, right now it's happening in Africa like never before. The persecution that's going on in loads of those countries, there are Christians who are meeting under intense persecution. And they keep shining. They keep preaching. People are getting saved because they are, they are following the pattern that was in the first century. Go to... Uh, mm. We need to pray that God opens our mouths, and that we say something instead of complaining. I'll point that out in a few minutes. Let me just say this. One soul is worth more to God than all our comfort. God thinks that person that you're working with that you don't like and that probably gets the raise while you get fired. <laughs> that, that person is more important than you getting your raise. And that person needs to see you have a right spirit even though everything's going wrong in your life. You know, that soul is worth more than your pride. I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk to everybody. I mean, my mind, I, I have to constantly be reminded, just talk, just give the gospel, just hand them a gospel track. But that soul is worth more than all of our pride, all of our past failures. You say, well, I tried talking to so-and-so, and and they just ignored me, rejected me. So what? That soul is worth trying again and again and again. Pretty cool, huh? (laughs) I'm not sure which one is open, but... Nope. (laughs) There we go. You know, um, this, is, this is probably the most important part. A soul, okay, a soul. You don't know who they are. And I'm going to preach this message, not this message, but a message on looking for a sinner. Um, a, a person, any person who is not saved is worth more than you and me put together. Okay? So your past failures on being a, a gospel witness, you say, well, I always stumbled over my words. I never know what to say. Even if you don't know what to say, it's better than not saying anything at all. Okay? Uh, I find that more people, you, you, might have, you might have bitter fighting at home, but you're going to have to conquer that thing because your neighbors need the gospel. Popularity, you may be the most per, popular person in, in, in school. You know, when I was 17 years old, nobody gave me the gospel. You know, we were all worried about at 17 years old, who's going to be popular? Who's going to be Who's going to be voted the most likely to succeed? Who is going to get the, the, uh, the prettiest girlfriend? That's all we worried about. Would have been nice if somebody had thrown all that aside and had come up to me and says, Craig, where are you going when you die? Nobody did that. It took an old 35-year-old woman. She was older than me. <laughs> confronting me. Thank God that somebody did it. I'm just telling you, somebody else should have. Jesus thought you were worth it. Worth him suffering? Didn't he suffer? Challenges, challenges to get us to think that one soul is worth it. So Acts one a Christians preach the gospel because number one they were prepared to preach. Would you do me a favor? Go back to Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, verse forty one. Acts two forty one. Now, Peter, you'll notice, Peter, James, John, uh, Thomas, Nathaniel, all of those disciples, when the, when the, when, uh, all those apostles, when the disciples were scattered abroad, where did the apostles stick? Still in Jerusalem, all right, for whatever reason. So the apostles are the epitome of, of educated, prepared, spirit-filled. But they weren't going. You know who got going? The newly saved Christians. The ones who did have all the time that they had spent with Jesus. They just heard the gospel and off they went. Now let me show you why they were able to do that. Look in chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received Peter's word, they they believed his word, then they were baptized and the same day they were adding to them about 3,000 souls. So there are 3,120 believers in the church first day. Verse 42, they continued... That means they continually, they kept steadfastly uh, saturated in the apostles' what? So they didn't have Jesus anymore, but they sat and they listened and they, they, they questioned and they learned from the apostles. They spent time in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. These, these believers that you find in chapter 8 scattering everywhere had been prepared to preach and they didn't even know it. It was part of their lives. Go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. No, it's actually chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy's growing up in a Jewish home. His father was a Gentile but his mama was a Jewish believer. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And you know, if you're growing up in a Christian home, you ought to thank God. You may have some of the dimmest parents alive, but if they're trying to raise you in the Bible and trying to raise you in church, you ought to realize what a gift you've got, because Timothy, not having a godly father, but having a godly mother, it, made, it prepared him to work alongside Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, And that from a child, speaking to Timothy, Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. You were taught the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, All scriptures given by inspiration for you to know these things. So as part of their lives from their childhood, these, these uh, Christians in Acts chapter 8, they knew the Bible, even though they didn't understand it. One of the wildest things, I didn't grow up with the Bible, but my pastor, Jack Humbert, grew up, in the time in the 1930s and 1940s when everybody read the Bible in America. Everybody did. And and a lot of them were atheists, but they still read the Bible every day at night at dinner table or after. And um, uh, my pastor grew up in a home that went to church but didn't believe any of it. Now that's crazy. But every night after dinner, you know what Jack was made to do? Read a chapter in the Bible. By the time he went to college, he had read through the Bible four times. He didn't believe a word of it. But then, when he went off to college and got an education, started a, 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 a low-level job with the Chicago Railroad, and worked up, worked up, worked up, all of a sudden, he's one of the top five managers of the entire Chicago Railroad. He goes and he's invited, he's got back in the 19, uh, uh, early 1970s, he's wearing a suit that costs the equivalent of like 3,000 euros. And he's got, you know, a gold Rolex watch. He's got a, a car that would be the envy of everybody. And he's invited by somebody to come to church. And he looked down on him and says, not interested. And he says, you've got to come because this man will preach and he'll preach to your heart. So I never heard anybody preach to my heart. So he came and he sat down. And he sat in this big church called Akron Baptist Temple. And he sat there as that man of God preached. Uh, Billings was his last name, was, his, uh, was Billings. Preached his heart out. And Jack Humbert got saved that day. Jack Humbert became my pastor. And what am I saying? When, when all those years that he was being taught the Bible and he, was being, and he was read, without even believing it, he was preparing him to be a pastor. You see, this, this book doesn't get in you by osmosis, okay? You can't, you can't transfer it to your phone and then sleep on it and just... It doesn't work that way. It is so important that we we know the Bible. You say, well, I don't know know how I'll ever use it. You will. And you will wish you had learned something. They didn't, you know, uh, let me just jump into this. You need to be in church every time we're here. I do not like wasting my time on anything, especially preparing you to preach and give the gospel to the lost. So we're here on Sunday morning, I give you my best. I'll work on on a sermon and on a study and on the Bible and prepare for Sunday morning and give you my best. But then I do the same thing for Sunday night. And then I do the same thing for Wednesday night. Because I aim to prepare you to preach. I aim, the Bible says, men, women, boys, girls, not that you pastor, not that you're the authority of some organization, but that you declare the gospel. So every time we have church, it's not for those of us who like it. Church is for every believer, every time, so that you get ready to serve the Lord. So when it's Sunday night, and you're looking at the clock, and you glance away, because something's on TV, or you're tired, or for whatever reason, Get your butt up and come to church. Amen. Because this is where we're trained and prepared to serve. You need to be here. You need to be here Sunday evenings for more instruction and fellowship. Because you wouldn't trust a doctor, folks. You wouldn't trust a lawyer. You wouldn't trust a bank manager who didn't put his or her time into learning their trade well, would you? Amen. You wouldn't. If you met a doctor and the doctor says, you know, I only went to classes one-third of the time. You say, I'm not trusting you, Jack. Amen. And if you're only participating one-third of the time that there's training going on, how can God trust you with a soul? Being a Christian is more than just being saved. It means being trained for a purpose. And what is our purpose? To be Acts 1:8 Christians. To go into all the world. I beg you to get prepared so that you can be that kind of a Christian. They were prepared to preach. They were pushed to preach. Go back to Acts chapter 8. They were pushed to preach. And boy, were they pushed. Look at um, Acts 1, sorry, Acts 8, 1. It says, and Saul was consenting unto death. He was all for it. He wanted more of those Christians dead. And at that time, there was a great, what's the word? Persecution against the church. Verse 3, Saul made havoc of the church. What would that look like? It it'd looked like four armed uh, 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 men coming into this, uh, this room and then pointing the guns at somebody and terrifying everybody. and saying, Get up! Are you a Christian? Get up! Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And then... Just, it, it would just throw us through a tizzy. We'd be running out through the doors. We'd be crawling through the windows trying to get out. That was what Saul and the men of that day and, and, and the laws that they enacted were doing to Christians. They'd come into big break into people's homes, terrorize them, drag the parents away, confiscate their homes, kick them out of their jobs, made havoc of the church. You know what that was doing? It was pushing Christians. Pushing them to get out of Jerusalem, to go to Judea, and then out of Judea and go to Samaria, and out of Samaria and go to the other most parts of the world. Now, I don't care whether you call it sharing the gospel. You know, I, people come along and, and they use these phrases like, let me, share, let me share the gospel with you. I don't care whether you call it sharing or witnessing or testimony, testifying. Just do it. Just do it. Most people don't feel like preaching. Uh. Be like going, being in a university, training doctors. Here's a, I give my doctor illustration again. You're in the university and you've got all these doctors there in the class and uh, these student doctors in the class and they don't actually want to help anybody. You've got that professor up there showing about blood types and uh, capillaries and aortic valves and all this stuff. And the student's sitting there saying, I just want my MD degree and a big pay packet. And that professor saying, you're in here to help people. Amen. Let me tell you, you may just want heaven in your mansion. You may want to have the peace of God and the joy of the Lord. But we're here to help people. Amen. That's why we're saved. That's why we are part of this thing called Christianity. Because God's trying to make us more than we are. And when we just sit and we do nothing, believe me, if the love of Christ doesn't motivate you, pain will. Most people will never open their mouth and even admit that they're Christians unless they're pushed, pressed, or goaded. Remember Peter? Peter's sitting there. Jesus is being falsely accused. He's being beaten by soldiers and by temple guard. And he's being uh, abused. And Peter's over there warming his hands by the fire. Did Peter say a word? Not a word until one woman came up and says, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? And Peter freaked out. No, 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 of course not. Sometimes sometimes the devil will drop something right in your lap and make you very uncomfortable. And It's not for you to collapse and you to run and hide. It's for you to stand up and say, yes, that's my Lord. Nita may not remember it. We were in a Burger King or something like this, and uh, some, some woman burned her hand flipping burgers or whatever, and she went, Jesus. And Nita went, that's my Savior. Do you know him? <laughs> Amen. I mean, what a response. Don't feel like preaching. Success really makes you shine. Fire does. You know, Moses wouldn't speak until, wouldn't go and and even confront Pharaoh until God pushed him. (laughs) You know, Moses said this, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. You know, neither am I. Most people who preach the gospel are abrasive, they're rough, They say things that they probably shouldn't. We're not eloquent. If you ever give the gospel to somebody, you'll trip over three, four, five dozen words. You'll say things backwards. You need to believe and repent. Repent and believe. Just just call on Jesus, uh, the Christ. You'll say all kinds of crazy things. I'm not eloquent. Mm. The Apostle Paul constantly, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians 6:18. 6, the Apostle Paul constantly feared not having the courage to boldly speak for Christ, and he's the great Apostle Paul. He says, "Pray for me, because I might get afraid, I might quiet down, I might sort of just retire and get out of the ministry." No, look at that. Ephesians chapter six and verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance, that's endurance, and supplication for all saints and for what? Pray for all saints, but also pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that words would be given unto me, that something would be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Would you agree? Most people are not saved. The gospel is a mystery to them, isn't it? And you're called to show them. You ever watch those, those uh, uh, magician shows, you know? The magicians, I mean, it's just amazing what they can do. And you're like, man, that's just fantastic. And then they stop and say, let me show you how I did it. And out, out comes all of the explanation of it. And you're like, wow, that's, what I, that's all you're doing. You're showing how a sinner who's lost, without hope, without God, no way to find God. you show them how God came and wanted to find them. And you're making the mystery known. Verse 20. For which ought, which I am an ambassador. I'm in chains right now. I'm in prison right now. But I'm an ambassador. There were, that pray that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. What was he afraid of? He was afraid of. I was afraid of well, maybe I, there'd be times where I wouldn't say what I should say. I wouldn't doubt. Now let's 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 put ourselves in the shoes of Paul and Silas in prison. They have been beaten. In Philippi, and they're thrown into the lowest prison there. Now I always wondered why would God put them in the lowest, darkest prison? And I got a got a thought. It might have been because the acoustics were best there. I don't think I'm so far off because when Paul and Silas were in that prison, there's only rats. So Paul says, "I think the acoustics in here are pretty cool. Let's sing." And then their voice, and I think Paul said, Silas, give us a testimony. (laughs) How'd you get saved, Silas? And Silas with the tears told about how Paul came and gave him the gospel, preached the gospel to him. He got saved. Now he's serving God. And Paul says, let me tell you I got saved. And he preached out of that hole in that prison. And all of those prisoners heard. And when the earthquake came and all those doors opened, those boys in every one of those cells said, I ain't moving. I want to hear that preacher finish the message. Amen. I think God put them in the darkest. I think God put them in that place because the acoustics were bad for preaching. You and I, I mean, we get in our trouble and we're in a bad situation and the acoustics are good, but our spirit's bad and we just won't speak up. So God pushed his people High up leaders were now dead. High up religious, the Christians were dead because they had converted to faith in Christ. Believers were rounded up and forced to renounce their new faith in Jesus the Messiah. What would you do? Well, God scattered them anyway. God didn't surround them with an army. And I like quote the verse. It says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. And I believe that. But there are some times where you're wondering, where's the angel? Things are going bad, Lord. You know, uh, what, what if I get the COVID-19 uh, and, 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 and nobody wants to talk to me for two weeks and I don't know. You have no idea what nurse or one doc, what doctor that you're going to be dealing with is going to need to hear your testimony. You have no idea. God scatters his people in every direction whether they're ready or not. Why did God bring some of you from your nation to hear? I have no idea. I, some of the stories, I cringe thinking what you had to go through to get here. But in some ways, maybe God brought you here to be a witness. Some of you got here and you got the gospel. Was that good? What a swap. But whatever God does in your life, I guarantee you, it's for good if you'll let him. He scattered his people in every direction. Third, now this is great. They became blind to the physical difference around them. Go to Acts 8, 5. Back to Acts 8. Remember, what were the Jewish Christians? Who were they concerned with winning? Jews. And God had to blind them. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now the Samaritans were pagan Jews. These were heathen. They weren't even practicing Jews. So he goes down to people that weren't Jewish. Go to Acts chapter 11.19 because at first they were not interested the, the, the believers were not interested in talking to anybody but Jews. Acts 11, verse nineteen. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia they even got out of the country and then Cyprus and Antioch but they were preaching the word to none but unto the kind of bigoted there don't you think? Hmm but rapidly those who were scattered talked to anybody who would listen. These soul winners went beyond their borders to the, here's Philip going to the pagan Samaritans. And off they went. You're in chapter 11, look at verse 20 now. But some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, uh uh-oh, they made the mistake, they spake unto the Grecians. They spoke to the Greeks. And who were they preaching? Not a different gospel, the same gospel, they preached to the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was upon them, and great number of Gentiles, of, of, of Greeks, believed, and they turned unto the Lord. So all of a sudden, they were preaching to Greeks and to Romans and Persians and the Germanic tribes, the Goths and the Huns and the Asians. So they started off in Jerusalem. Where'd they, where'd they end up after that? They were in Judea. That's their county. That's their area around them. Then they branched out, and they were in another area called Samaria. And here they are in chapter 11. They're in the uttermost parts of the earth. They're just beginning. Amazing. You know what they saw? They saw souls. When they saw somebody, they didn't care whether they were uh, uh, red, white, black, green, or blue. They found people there in boats. They found them lined up. Uh, You know, there are some churches that have no chairs at all. They sit on dirt and they'll sit there for three hours because it took them three hours to get to church. And then they'll walk home and they'll cry because they have to wait a whole other week before they get together with other Christians. But they looked around and they saw souls. What do you see? When you look into the eyes of somebody who's not, oh, did it come up? Yeah. Who's so not like you. When you look into the eyes of somebody who's not like you, see them as a soul. Seeing somebody that Christ died for, these Christians here in Acts eight started seeing people as souls. By the way, you are a soul with a body. You're not a body with a soul. You know that, don't you? When God made man, he was nothing until He breathed the breath of life into him. And in Genesis two seven says, "And he became a living soul." So his body is just a shell. All of us, we got all these differences. We got hair. We don't, some don't have hair. Some have. Uh, you know, some are tall, some are short. Some are. Some are uh, all kinds of different shapes and sizes and colors and and spots. That's what will distract you. Everyone's going to live forever somewhere. You do know there's only one race, don't you? The human race. So what's the devil done throughout history? Made people think they're superior, looking down on other people. That, that has damned more people. I, I'm going to tell you, if, we ever, if uh, Eric and I were ever called to go to Afghanistan, Afghanistan, they'd be worth it. The people in Afghanistan would be worth our lives. And that's hard to get to, because you think, oh, I don't think I'd be, <laughs> that's not a fair exchange. It is for them. They were practical. Back there in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Acts 8, 4. Down to verse 7, it says, Then they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And, had, and many, taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. Now what was going on? He was actually, people were messed up, and he had the ability, that's the first century, he had the ability to heal somebody. He actually went in and helped them. Amen. The gospel is very practical. You know, we come here to church, and we meet here, this is not all theology, you know what this is? This is saving your marriage. This is helping you have a relationship with your kids that you wouldn't have if you kept watching Oprah Winfrey. Amen. The kind of things that, 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 we're, that you're hearing preached and the kind of things that you already believe now, that you've read the Bible and you know it, actually help people and can help people. They were practical. They lived by it. And they endured because the gospel is not about prosperity and comfort. You know what it's about? It's about trusting Jesus Christ. You know, it makes a person a Christian? Not their money, not the blessings, but Christ in you. They also were enjoying the preaching. Look there in verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. There's three things I thought about that they would enjoy. Number one, they enjoyed the truth of the gospel. You know, when... when I don't, I don't know what it was like when you got saved, but when I'm sitting there listening to this woman talk to me and give me the gospel, it just rang true. I didn't believe it and didn't want to believe it, but something inside of me said, maybe she's right. (laughs) And then sitting down and listening to the preaching and looking at it with my own eyes in the Bible, there's just something that rings true in every heart. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. It is just, you don't have, listen, if you have to convince somebody that they're a sinner, they're messed up, man. It just rings true. They enjoyed the truth of it. You know, your Bible's not against science. Flat Earth is, but your Bible is not against science. The Gospel is the foundation of all the sciences. It has. You know, there are four Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know why? So that God said there are four witnesses to His life. It's not just one. There's, we're not just believing cunningly devised fables. We're believing something that has been verified and proven and true. That's why the miracles were there. That's why the, the, the effects are still testable now. The more, I read in, the more I read any book, the more I come back to and enjoy this book. And I read lots of books. They enjoyed not only the truth of it, but they enjoyed the fruit of it. You know what it would be like if your mom or dad who's lost got saved? I think you might become charismatic. I think you might actually let a shout out. You know, if there's somebody in your life that is just lost and you're afraid of losing them, going to hell, and if you saw them get saved, your life would change. Amen? If you ever experienced the fruit of the gospel besides just in your life, you enjoy it. You would enjoy it. I'm telling you, I watch a lot of people enjoy their dead religion. And I wonder, what about us? We've got a living one. I mean, what's wrong with us? You know Christianity has made better men and better women a better society than any other thing did. You know what they did during after World War One, World War II, they, they used armed uh, soldiers and armies to forge Europe. when God said the gospel can make a better people. They enjoyed it. They even enjoyed. I guarantee you, the more you learn, I, I was uh, brand new I was newly saved I had no Bible learning, and so this guy. Uh, Took me out soul winning every Saturday. uh, And as we went door to door, I learned more Bible by all the wackos out there and all their weird ideas on God and religious stuff like this. As when they have a question and I start looking at my Bible, pull out my concordance. We had no phones or internet, things like this. And looking up all that stuff and I just love learning truth. Enjoyed preaching. Come to church. I still have the notebooks of where I sat and I took notes of my pastor preaching. And there would be a page full of 30 scriptures we went to, man. Trying to figure out the outline. What's he saying next and stuff. I enjoyed the preaching. They, there was great joy in that city. And they poked at serious enemies. Look at verse 9. We'll read for a bit here. There was a guy named Simon. Look there in verse 9. There was a certain man named Simon, which before time of the city used sorcery. And he bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he, that himself was some great one whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is a great power of God. That's who Philip is now confronting. It's this guy who was a very uh, uh, religious uh, leader, but he was a, a cult. And to him they had regard, verse 11, because for a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, because they were joining the church, they were going For God now. Then Simon himself believed also. Amen. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles of the signs which were done. He goes, wow, look at what Philip can do. Now when the apostles, verse 14, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria to receive the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Woo-hoo! Simon saw that, laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Ghost was given. He offered money. He says, can I buy that power? Saying, give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. Wow. Because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. A lot of people think that. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. Never will have that power. For thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of, thy, of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I, for I perceive that thou art in, still in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of sin of iniquity. Now what's Peter doing? What's, what's Philip? What are all these guys doing? They're confronting confusion. They're confronting a darkness In the world, listen, people were getting saved and there was great joy, but there was also demons and devils that were getting upset. And so here's Simon. Simon is bitter. He's bitter at God. He's still in in sin. You know, you can be saved and you can still be in pornography. You can be saved and can still have a problem with bitterness. Let me tell you, um, what the gospel does is it confronts that. Aren't you glad? Because we're not here to just stay the same. I've had too many people tell me, well, pastor, that's just how I am. That's just who I am. And I just want to tell them, that stinks. Because somebody else has to live with you. And you need to grow up and change. All of us do. And the gospel changes us. It confronts the enemies in us. Some people are, are, are they're just mad at life. They're bitter at God. And they may be saved. But when the preaching comes and says, let's live for God, let's preach, and that old spirit comes up and says, oh, there he goes again. <laughs> and you get angry, let me tell you, that's the gospel at work. And you need to say, I'm not listening to that spirit anymore. Because God saved me to be an Acts 1-8 Christian. And he's poking the enemy in me. It aggravated Saul of Tarsus. Remember what Jesus said to him? It's hard to kick against the... So every time he would grab somebody and he would force them to blaspheme the name of Jesus and that person would look up to them and whatever they'd say, something like, Saul, you need to get saved. Saul, are you saved? And he would, I don't know what, whether he hit them or whether he just tortured them or whatever, but it would cut him to the heart because the gospel goes against the enemy and stirs him up. When I was a kid, we had hornets. Now, a hornet is a wasp on steroids. And when you're a kid, you're born without any intelligence. So there was this thing up in the tree. I wish I had a picture. I forgot to put it in there. But it's this, it just looked like a clay ball hanging up in the tree. I was laughing. So I got me, I don't know, it was a, a, a broomstick or a stick. And I started to knock that thing, Start to knock that thing. And knocked that thing so hard it cracked a bit and it came alive. It's full of hornets, man. Listen, you ever bring somebody to church and you see them running out? That's because the preaching stirred up some hornets. You ever get the feeling where you want to run out? It's because the preaching stirred up some hornets. Amen. So just stick with it. Because this is where the actions is, amen? This is where people change. This is the gospel. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and make them all happy. He said, make them mad so they get saved. Stir them up. If you have to, you're on the job and somebody says, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm not that bad, I'm not bad, tell them, you're wicked! How dare you say I'm wicked? The Bible says it. And I know you. (laughs) Acts 1.8 made, made Christians. This book shows how Christians were, were made into the preachers of the gospel, and that was to poke at the devil. And they changed the world for the better. Do you know the whole world heard in one generation? There were about 300 million people back in the first century. And Colossians chapter 1 says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith at Colossae in Christ Jesus, and of the love which you have to all the saints. Then he says this, For the hope which is laid for you up in heaven, where, where have ye heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you in Colossae, which was up in Turkey, as it is in all of the world. And it bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you. In Paul's day, the gospel had gone and was reaching into China, all the way up into Central Europe, down into deepest Africa. It was in just one generation, it had already scattered. Where did it begin? Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, I want you to go everywhere. They didn't. Acts chapter 8 says, we're going to motivate you. And after Acts chapter 8, it... Paul says, just 20 years later, he says, I'm hearing of people in every corner of the world hearing the gospel because they got scattered. It turned the world upside down. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. I didn't know this was a Bible term. I hear people flipping houses. You ever heard that phrase? Flipping a house? I hear that they can flip a car. Now, that's not an accident but it means you take a car and you make it all nice and stuff like this. I think our world needs to be flipped. It needs to be turned upside down, inside out. Look at Acts chapter 17 in verse 6. This was the testimony of first century Christianity. Talking about Paul and Silas and these preachers there coming there. Verse 6, and when they found them, not, they were looking for Paul, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city crying, these, these Christians, that have turned the world upside down, they've come hither also. What a great testimony. I have to say this. That type of Christianity, 2,000 years ago, the effects of it are still being felt today. What year is it? 2020, year of our Lord. Not the year of Joseph Stalin. Amen. Not the year of Adolf Hitler. Not the year of Emperor Nero. It's the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. The effect of that first century is still felt today. Did you know cannibalism is gone? Amen. Christians um, uh, stopped entire cultures from fighting and eating their enemy. <clears throat> There's a guy named William Carey uh, and, and Amy Carmichael and other great uh, missionaries who risked their lives confronting the culture in India when a, when, a, when a man died, if he had any money, they would put him on a, on a pyre, on a, on a frame, and they'd put him up there, and they would, they would take his living wives and, and, and children, and they would kill them, and in an instant put them on top, and they would burn them all. William Carey says, it's got to stop! And he stopped it. He made it so that it was illegal to burn the lives of your wives after you were dead. The effect of the gospel is still being felt today. You know, we have a lot of what are called humanitarian organizations today that started off Christian. You ever hear the Red Cross? <laughs> the Salvation Army? The YWCA and the YMCA, you know what those stood for? Young Christian Men's Association. Young Christian Women's Association. World vision, all of those things were because of the gospel. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was written because of the gospel. There are 100,000 universities and colleges all over this world because of the effect of the gospel that compelled Christian rulers and governors to make education available so the masses could learn the Bible. That was the one main reason. It wasn't so that people could be so highly educated. It was so that people could learn to read the Bible. Because of the gospel, the greatest book in the world now has an ending. The New Testament. (laughs) Because of the gospel, the end of your Bible doesn't end with the words curse. Let's read the last verse of Malachi. The Bible ends with, even so come, Lord Jesus. Christmas is celebrated all over the world as well as the resurrection at Easter time. Government officials are forced, hallelujah, to serve us, not us, them. Our world needs serious turn it upside down. Acts 1:8 Christians, I think they're the best kind. Don't you agree? Most of Christianity is very, very stuck. Don't do much of anything. We have so many reasons why we can't be Acts 1:8 Christians. But the world is collapsing fast. I've seen some videos. I've never seen one live, but I've seen some videos of a landslide. I've seen some YouTube of some news event and there are houses all along there and people in the house and all of a sudden our world is on a landslide, folks. It is rapidly, rapidly collapsing. Headed to hell and are we sitting here doing nothing? What's it going to take for us to faithfully open our mouths and preach the word? David says it, I don't know why I don't have the verse in here, but David says it, open my mouth. Open my mouth that I may speak of thy glory. Maybe, maybe it'd be important for you to say, you know, Lord, I, I, I need to pray that you do whatever you need to to get me to say something. Here's what we need to do. First off, pray for God to open your mouth. Love ought to motivate you to say something. But if that doesn't work, pain will do just as good. Use every opportunity God gives you. Every opportunity, small and large. Become prepared. When you're in church, take some notes. Circle some verses that that mean something to you. And, 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 And watch God give you next week something to use that scripture for. Give an answer to somebody. Get trained. Carry gospel tracts with you everywhere you go. At least have the gospel tracts with you. The most frustrating part of my life is where I'm talking to somebody and I reach in and I have to take a try. Here's a goal. Talk to one person a day. Just one. We don't need, you know, I, I, there are two kinds of Christians in this room. One who, who will listen and will agree and will do this, and there are very few, and the rest who are just here. I'd rather have a church of people who want to live, live for God and be Acts one Eight Christians. Amen than just have a church full of people who do nothing. Talk to one person today, and lastly, never quit. Pastor, you ever get discouraged? Yes. I wonder if it's working. But it does. It does. Father, we bow before you and ask that you you would break our heart. It ought to be easy to love people, but often it's not. So many things come into our heart and, ooh, just aggravate us at people. Aggravate us at other Christians, at the pastor. We, we are not even aware of how the enemy has uh, changed what was meant to motivate us. It makes us to where we're stuck. You commanded, it wasn't a suggestion, it wasn't a request, it was a command to go into all the world. You commanded that we were to be witnesses, living testimonies. We were supposed to say something everywhere. Not only in our Jerusalem, and this is our Jerusalem, but also in Cork City and Cork County. Also in Northern Ireland but also in the uttermost parts of the world. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we pray for them, support them, send them. And we've got to be busy in all those areas. Break all of our hearts today. That we all get busy. That we all participate. That every one of us realize, this is not for just a few. If we did what you called us to do, our world would be reached again. Seven and a half billion people are not too many people to reach. With all the technology we got, with everything. Lord, would you please burden us to be Acts 1-8 Christians? Because there's probably somebody in this room that's not even a John 3 Christian. They've never been saved, never been born again, but somebody brought them. Somebody sat them down here and says, listen, I want to ask you, Lord. Help them to hear right now. You came, you loved them, you died for them so they don't have to go to hell. So they could be saved from the wrath of God that's coming. So they could be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not a follower of religion. But a follower of a living Savior who died and was buried and rose again. If they would just believe that He did it for them. They would just accept the gift of God which is eternal life. Changed my life. I've never been the same, never want to be the same. Lord help me never, ever quit. May it be the prayer of every person in this room too. In Jesus name, amen.